inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. Welcome, everyone. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast. Remember, if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And remember, it's free. You can find me on Google Play and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And by the way, it really helps me out when you leave a great review and it helps other horse lovers find us too. So thanks to everyone who's left me a great review. I really appreciate it. I'd like to thank Smooth Stride Riding Jeans for sponsoring this podcast and keeping it free for our listeners. Be sure to check out my favorite riding jeans at smoothstride.com. Since the last time we recorded, I've been pretty busy. January was a busy month for me. I was in South Miami Beach at an international TV market show where buyers and sellers of television content come together. And we were there pitching a brand new TV series on horses, and I'll tell you more about that later. Um, Right now, I'm getting ready to head up to Fort Collins, Colorado to teach the colt starting classes up at Colorado State University. We've got about 32 students and 32 Uh, two- and three-year-old quarter horses that they are training, and I'm going to go up there and um, replace the instructor for a week while he uh, tends to some family business, and so I'm really excited about that. I love working with the horses and the students in the Legends of Ranching program. I'm going to take my good horse, Eddie, up there to help me teach the class and work with the young colts and uh, Eddie, actually, I bought him at the Legends of Ranching sale, gosh, um, six, seven years ago. Um, And he's turned out to be an awesome horse. And um, so it will be kind of fun to take him back up there and and use him to work with the Colts. And uh, I'll also be taking my young horse, Pepperoni. Um, He also came through the Legends of Ranching program, so it'll be a little bit like going home for him. But it'll be a great experience for him to go on the road and work in strange arena around some strange horses. So I'm really looking forward to um, that trip coming up pretty soon. Today's topic for my podcast is all about Horsemaster, the final chapter. And after 11 years and producing 260 episodes of my TV show, Horsemaster with Julie Goodnight, I'm ending the popular TV series and moving on to bigger and better things. Uh, But today I want to share with you some of my favorite episodes, um, what I remember most about the horses and and what I learned from each horse that I worked with um, through the years. But before we get started, it's time for Stride by Stride with Desiree from Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. with a pretty unique um, customer service advantage, uh, I think, in the way you l- allow people to order riding jeans. Yep, that's another one of the fun, um, creative things that I came up with, and um, I call it my Colt Special. 
And again, it kind of goes back to behavior on the ground because, you know, you've got a cult and you work with it and, and, and then, so basically, um, a girl will, uh, a gal will take her measurements and she'll look at the sizing chart. We even have a size calculator now that you can enter in your measurements and it'll spit out the two breed names that uh, you should try. So, so a gal will take her measurements and she'll choose two sizes of jeans that she thinks will work for her. She'll go ahead and make the order or I can do it here. I do a lot of orders by phone. And then I ship them out in a bag that you can reseal with a prepaid return label. That's part of the special is that I pay for the return because when it's a good colt, I call it a good colt, when it when a girl gets one or she gets them and then one fits and she loves it and keeps it and is happy as can be and then she turns around and puts the unwanted gene that didn't fit back in that bag with the prepaid return label. And all she has to do is put it right in her mailbox because I almost exclusively use USPS uh, priority. And it's fast and it's inexpensive. And then she ships it back. I don't charge. It's authorized only because I have to do that in case I never see my jeans again. But I don't charge until she tells me she wants to keep one and the other one gets back home. And then and only then do I charge. And she has up to 30 days. We have 30 days to do this exercise. And it is one of the things that's really making this work for me, for, for, the, for the, the genes personally, because having the two to try, invariably one fits. And if it doesn't, the gal gets to feel them, put them on, and decide if they want to continue on with switching it out. And that's what I do. I do all that customer service myself. She says, I love them. We just missed. She, you know, missed one size. I need one size smaller, one size larger. Shoot it on out, and then I charge. It's all good, and it's done. Wow, that is so awesome. And actually, I have a couple of friends that that took advantage of the Colt special. Um, of course, I wear the jeans all the time. I, I, It's all I wear when I'm home, and it's gotten to be just about all I wear when I'm working on the road, too. And so a lot of people say, wow, where'd you get those jeans? <laughs> and uh, I just give them your web website, smoothstride.com, and they order. So I've had a couple of good friends order from you and um, get the Colt Special and get both sizes. And they were so thrilled to to be able to do that. And it was so easy, and the fact that you don't even charge until they return the second pair of pants. But in in at least one of the instances of my two friends, they ended up keeping the other pair because another friend wanted them. And mm-hmm. uh, so it was sort of a win-win situation for everybody. So I think that's really cool, and it's it's something that's nice about a small company that is entrepreneur-run. Mm-hmm. And you know your customer. You are your customer. Yes. I am your customer. You know the customer very well because you are the customer. And uh, I think that's really awesome what you do. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is about my TV show, Horsemaster with Julie Goodnight. It's an unscripted reality show about people and their horses and helping them train their horses and become better riders and improve their relationship with the horse. I've been making this TV show for 11 years. It's hard to believe, um, but it's true. For the last 11 years, we've, I've been producing uh, this TV show. 
And um, we've made 260 episodes. I'm really proud of this body of work. So it is really with a great deal of pleasure that I'm announcing the final chapter of Horsemaster. You know, a, a TV show can't live forever. And um, I think it's time to uh, move on and, and move into some new projects. I'm not finished with producing TV shows about horses. Um, I'm, I'm well into um, several other projects we have um, on the burners for um, television about horses. But for now, we're bringing Horsemaster to a close. So, um, you know, I really feel like the job is complete. It was my choice to end the series, and I wanted to go out when I was on top. And, you know, I really want, want to thank all my fans and all the viewers of the TV show over the years. And, you know, the people I've met in person, you've told me about your favorite episodes. And um, it's been so great to connect with the audience. And I so appreciate you sticking with me through the years. And I want you to know I'm not going away. Um, and uh, stay tuned. I'll for sure be filling you in on uh, more information. And you can always check my Facebook page for the latest updates on new projects. But for now, I'd like to just talk to you about Horsemaster and um, what a great journey it's been for me. Uh, we started, uh, we got our contract uh, with RFD in October of 2007. That was a short three months away from when our fir first episode would air. And that was quite a monstrous undertaking. And I don't know, in some ways, if I knew then what I knew now, I'm not sure I would have taken that leap, but um, I really felt like it was something I could do. And I want to give a lot of credit to Heidi Malaco back then before she was married and had a, her daughter. Her name was Heidi Nyland. And um, she w I was able to recruit her on board with the TV show. And um, so she and I sort of jumped off with both feet um, into TV production. And it, it was a crazy ride. We had no cameras, no locations, no cast members, no nothing. And um, so within, believe it or not, within a month, we were able to pull all that together. We filmed in Longmont, Colorado. Um, Heidi called on a lot of her friends and called in a lot of favors and we found a nice location, um, got six horses and riders to come uh, do our first set of shows. And, and let me tell you, we learned a lot at that first shoot. And um, also on that first shoot was Cheryl Lee. And she is my dear friend and neighbor. And she took on the title at that very first shoot of Wardrobe Wrangler. And I'm proud to say she stayed with the show through every single 260 episodes. And um, she did not make every single shoot. We, she had some stand-ins on location at times, but um, her advice and uh, wardrobe selection was always there. So uh, I owe a lot to uh, both Cheryl and Heidi for uh, helping me get this thing off the ground and um, definitely for the early years. So uh, in preparation for writing my blog about the uh, Horsemaster, the final chapter, and for recording this episode, I've been combing through um, the entire catalog of Horsemaster, all 260 episodes. I'm kind of a numbers junkie, um, so I wanted to pull out some statistics and 
look at, um, you know, what we did. What is that body of work? And uh, so uh, it was pretty interesting. I'm going to share those statistics, uh, a few of them with you now. But um, as I look at the st- statistics um, regarding 260 episodes of Horse Master, which, as I said, was working with a different horse and rider every week, every episode, um, it, it the numbers that I'm about to share with you really actually reflect, I think, um, the at least the United States horse population. It reflects horsemanship in general. I suspect that when it gets, comes to subject matter, these are the same types of um, subject matters you, you would get if you did this show anywhere in the world. And uh, I'm hoping to test that theory at some point. Um, but anyway, it goes like this. As far as the different breeds of horses, now all of the horses were not um, purebreds of any kind. But so what I did was just, you know, for instance, if they were a half Arab, I categorized that as Arab. If they were a grade quarter horse type horse, I, I categorized that as quarter horse. So, um, of course, quarter horse tops the list. We had 115 quarter horses on the show. We had 24 paint horses, 20 thoroughbreds, and 19 warm bloods of various persuasions. I think that's, um, you know, a pretty typical sort of overview of American horses. I thought it was interesting um, as I was coming through the episodes, I noticed a lot of Palominos. And so I started counting the Palominos. And in total, we had 18 Palominos on the on the show. Now, these were all of different breeds. There was Tennessee Walker and so on and so forth, quarter horses. And, um, but I got a chuckle out of that because I've always teased, um, but it's always seemed true that Palominos just have this way about them. It's like they remind me of beautiful blonde women. They they just they think they're beautiful and they like to be the center of attention. So I think it's funny that we had that many Palominos on the show. We had 16 Arabs, 10 gated horses of various breeds, um, and eight pony breeds. That was an interesting statistic to see. That was everything from Shet- we had a Shetland um to uh, up and into including um, some of the uh, draft ponies. Uh, we had six Mustangs, six Morgans, five Appaloosas, five um, Baroque horses. And um, to me, the Baroque breeds are the Andalusian, Lusitano, uh, PRE. And we had, uh, and, and you might include the Pasos in there. We had three Pasofinos, one Peruvian Paso, and two mules. By the way, every mule that ever applied to Horsemaster got on the show, and that was exactly two of them. They were both very memorable. Um, at least one of them made my long list of most memorable episodes. Um, so anyway, that's a look at the horses. I thought that was pretty interesting. When I went to uh, categorize all the subject matter over 11 years involving horsemanship, uh, what I did was I just I, I made up a dozen um, really broad categories. And then um, I looked at each episode in terms of what was the main uh, point of the episode or the main issue that was being addressed or being resolved. And... And and so then I, I tallied them up. So the 
the top of the list we was uh, adv- advancing writing skills. So we had 32 episodes that were simply focused on improving the skills of the writer. And that was everything um, from fundamental skills to advanced skills, cueing, um, how to ride a an advanced maneuver like lateral movements, pivots, uh, rollbacks, to, um, you know, fixing someone's riding so that they're not interfering with a horse that's trying real hard and, and can't cope with the rider. So 32 of those. Next on the list, not surprisingly, was leadership and ground manners. We had 24 episodes over the last 11 years involving leadership and ground manners. And this should come as no great surprise to anyone that's worked with horses, um, with different horses and different people. Um, you know, horses horses are big, volatile animals. And if they aren't taught appropriate behavior, then um, they can become dangerous. And so we had a lot of, of episodes that were just simply people that really were not properly handling their horses and the horses had either never learned how to act right or had um, been actively taught to to act wrong. And so, um, or sometimes they were just young. We had several young horses that weren't really, you know, um, very handleable under halter and um, or their feet or whatever. So 24 episodes there. But interestingly enough, I made a separate category for spoiled and tantrum-throwing horses, and we had 21 horses that fit into that category. And I will have to tell you, those are some of the most entertaining episodes, and I can think back on on them right now and just sort of run a little uh, teaser reel in my head of the horses just... Um, you know, becoming tyrants and throwing tantrums and and taking advantage of the the rider or the handler. Uh, So 21 episodes fell into that category. Also not surprising, 18 episodes were about spooking of some nature or a horse with a really high fear index. And so there was a lot about desensitizing. There was a lot about um, teaching horses how to cope with fear, not to spook, not to bolt, um, all of those things. You know, um, it's no surprise that that many episodes were about fear when horses are prey animals and flight animals. They, you know, and depending on the individual, of course, some have a higher fear level than others, but. Um, depending on the individual, you know, they, they can be in a constant state of fear if, um, if, if their imagination gets away from them. So, um, also in the twenties, uh, high number of episode category is all about the canter. So anything that was any episode that was strictly about cantering, it could have been cueing leads, lead changes, slowing down the canter, controlling the canter, collecting the canter. I'm certain we did all of those episodes several times, uh, lead problems, um, 21 episodes of canter work. We had 17 episodes about building confidence in the rider or the handler from the ground. And again, this shouldn't come as any big surprise to anybody. Confidence is a huge issue around horses. They're big, scary animals. Um, I like to say capable of 
spontaneous violent combustion at any moment. And so people get in wrecks with horses that you don't even have to get hurt by a horse to be afraid of. I mean, if you have a pulse, you ought to be, have some level of caution around horses. So the, the challenging thing with horses and confidence, you know, I like to compare it to skiing. If I go skiing and I get nervous, I ski very poorly, but, but my skis don't change their behavior they don't act right because I'm not skiing right, but they don't throw a tantrum, for instance, or spook and run away. Um, so confidence with horses is an important issue, and we did a lot of episodes on that. We had 14 episodes on training green horses. These are just uneducated horses. We had 13 episodes of high-headed horses um, that we, in in every case, um, that is often, well, it's either caused by the rider, the bit, or both, um, or pain. I mean, there's there's a million different causes for a horse to be high-headed. But one really common problem is the wrong bit and improper riding. And so in most cases, um, people that have watched a lot of Horse Master know that, um, first of all, our presenting sponsor was Myler Bits um, and um, Myler Bits and their distributor, Toe Clad Originals. They were with us for most of the tenure of the show because they believe very strongly in educating horse owners. And uh, so we changed the bits in a lot of horses. Um, we changed the bits more than you even knew because sometimes we couldn't bring it into the storyline, but we could not. I couldn't see a horse really improperly bitted with, um, without doing something about it. So Myler Bits were really generous to us. Dale Myler was on the TV show, let's see, I believe that was 26 times. Um, and he helped us with a lot of episodes he didn't p- appear on. So uh, so anyway, we addressed that issue a lot, high-headed horses. Uh, 14 episodes on slowing down a fast horse, but only three episodes on speeding up a slow horse. So that's kind of interesting. Um, of course, as on the overall scale of problems to have, You'd way rather have a slow horse than a fast horse. So that might have been why we were dealing with so many of the fast horse issues. And then finally, we did six episodes of trailering, everything from loading to backing out to driving to backing up the trailer and parking it. Four episodes on saddle fit. These were all horses that were having issues in, in regards to saddle fit. And then we had two episodes of hard-to-catch horses. Um, I remember both of those really well, like they were yesterday, because the horses that act that way just crack me up. They're so clever. Um, and it's really fun to um, to beat them at their own game. So um, that's all the subject matter, 260 episodes divided uh, into... Um, into basic basic categories. We also had 72 English riders, 113 Western riders, 63 episodes about ground handling or groundwork with horses, and 12 episodes of Horse Master were really just personal interest stories about horse people. Of all the cast members on on Horse Master, we we had 208 women. Again, that should not come as a surprise. We had 28 youth cast members, boys and girls. And uh, we had 24 men on the show over the 11 years. I think, if I recall, it was, it was, we were two or three years into it before we got our first man on the show. 
Um, pretty much every man that ever applied to be on the show was on the show, although I do have to tell you that there were several instances where the man did not know he had applied to be on the show because his wife had filled out the application. So we had a few of those. Uh, we had a few kids do the same thing. The parents didn't know they were uh, booked to be on a TV set for two days and miss school um, until we arrived there. Um, so we learned a lot through the years about recruiting cast members. And, and you know, it was no easy task to, to, um, to choose the horses that would apply to be on the show because we had to balance all of those things. We wanted a balance of English and Western and groundwork. We wanted youth um, in there as much as we could. And of course, we wanted men and we wanted a broad representation of the breeds. Um, so with every shoot, by the way, we had over 11 years of Horse Master. We had 37 different on-location shoots around the country, 10 different states, 18 different locations. We shot 10 times in Colorado, nine times in Arizona, five times in Florida, three times in California, two times in Texas, South Carolina, and Massachusetts, and one time in Tennessee and Georgia. And um, we, it was a challenge in picking locations. We, we turned out a lot of episodes of Horse Master, 24 a year. Um, anyone who knows anything about television productions knows that is a a huge number of episodes to, to churn out every year. Um, so we, when we started out in the very beginning, it took us five days to film six episodes. And within a few years, we were doing six in four days. And within another few years, we were doing eight in four days. And so uh, I would say the last six or seven years of Horse Master we were having three shoots a year and regardless of whether we did three or four shoots a year we pretty much ended up having one shoot in the winter and so we were always in on the lookout for warm climates to shoot we tried everything florida california texas um, and arizona but why we ended up going back to Arizona again and again because it was really the only place where you could count on four or five days of really good weather, sunny, bright, dry, temperatures in the 70s every single day. So, uh, by the way, thank you to White Stallion Ranch in Tucson, Arizona. It's a fabulous guest ranch. They have an awesome horse program there. And they were so good to us. And they uh, they were so good to us that we came back year after year for seven years um, and uh, just a little side bit of trivia is that I, I travel a lot around the country and I talk to the fans of Horse Master and a lot of them think I live in Arizona. And I, I think it's because we have filmed so much in Arizona that people just associate me with Saguaro Cactus, I guess. And uh, so uh, I filmed more in Colorado, but uh, for some reason I still get um, attributed to Arizona. So that's a little bit about the entire body of work. And um, without going on and on and on forever, I wanted to share with you um, some of my most memorable episodes. So again, in preparation for putting the final chapter on this uh, TV series, 
I went through every episode. And by the way, I can remember every single episode. I can remember every single horse. I don't, to be honest, remember every single person quite as well. But the horse, if I can look at a picture of him, I, I can't look at him on page. I mean, I can't look at his name and and breed or anything and, and know. But if I can look at a picture of that horse, I instantly remember um, pretty much everything about the episode. Um, you know, we filmed everything you see is pretty much what happened uh, on on camera. We uh, we represented everything that we did with the horse. We did allow uh, we filmed one episode over two days, allowing the person and the horse to rest and practice um, their new skills uh, before we finished the show. So they did have some off camera coaching from my assistants. Um, by the way, best assistants ever, uh, Lucy Achenbach. Twyla Walker Collins and um, Tanya Cody. Um, uh, they helped me through all the years. They kind of took turns, sometimes worked together on uh, doing the coaching of the cast members or the assisting with training the horses um, when we were um, when we were allowing the people to practice. But the initial part of the show, um, the whole first two thirds of the show. Um, pretty much happens real time what you see in front of you. We, we certainly have some episodes that we, for instance, could not get the horse trained in the 11 minutes allotted. Um, so if it took, and I remember distinctly a few episodes where said training took, you know, close to two hours, um, on the rare occasion that occurred, we, we would actually show in a time lapse how much time did elapse in the training of the horse because we, we never wanted to misrepresent what it what it takes to handle horses and train horses. So anyway, I pulled up a list of, I went through all the episodes and looked at which ones were, which just stood out in my mind. Like I didn't even have to look at a picture. I already could tell you everything about the horse and what went on. And that was a list, gosh, I'm going to say probably ended up being about, oh, 25 or 30 episodes and uh, that I would call my most memorable episodes. Um, so then I um, went ahead and jotted down some notes about why they stood out in my memory so much. And oftentimes it was because we had a really dramatic turnaround on the horse. And often it was because... I learned something really important from the horse. And so um, anyway, I'm going to next month in my blog, I'm going to share with you some more stories about my most memorable episodes. But I then um, sort of took a survey of my own head and decided what were the three most memorable episodes from all of those. So these are the three most memorable episodes of all time in Horsemaster with Julie Goodnight. To me, um, other people that's seen the whole series might not agree, um, but I was the one there on the front end, uh, in front of the camera, on the front end of the horse. Um, so things were real life action to me. So the first of the top three, and I'm going to talk about them in chronological order, um, not in the most important. I'd have to do, give some considerable thought to which one was uh, one, two, and three. So just starting in uh, chronological order, season two, episode seven was called Loaded Up. And this was filmed outside of Phoenix, Arizona. And this was our very first trailer loading episode. We went on to do, I think, five more uh, through the series. 
it was an off-the-track thoroughbred that uh, had a very, very serious trailer loading problem. And the situation was this. The, the woman had had bought the horse. I believe the horse was boarded at the, at the facility um, where she bought it and then kept it. So there was no cause to trailer the horse. And nobody told her the horse had a trailer loading problem. So she, so she actually had the horse for... Uh, a, a period of time um, before it came time to load in a trailer and um, no can do. And so um, they failed that attempt and they tried many other subsequent attempts to get this off the track thoroughbred into the trailer. And he um, got very volatile through fits, never got in the trailer. So um, by the time a trailer loading problem, by the way, comes to somebody like me, the horse has already succeeded in not getting in the trailer a lot. And so his um, his undesirable behavior is tantrum throwing and bolting. In this case, the horse, we came to discover, would rip the rope out of your hands and run away. Um, for every time he doesn't get in the trailer, you've sort of rewarded all of that behavior. So but that, by the time... That horse is so serious that, like, we're talking about making a TV show out of him or making a demonstration in front of an audience. Um, he's got – it's not just a simple train the horse to get into the trailer. You've got some very serious behavior that you're trying to manage, trained behavior, learned behavior. And so this horse was a perfect case in point. So as we filmed every single episode of Horse Master, we started with what we called the before footage – um, I had very little contact, no contact with the horse, very little contact with the owner or the rider of the horse before filming occurred. And this, I, my producer would, um, you know, get the story from the person, talk to the person, so on and so forth. However, so I knew uh, some of the background of the horse and the person. But I did not engage with them because we wanted that to be captured authentically on camera. And if you have a dramatic conversation with somebody off camera and then say, okay, now I'd like you to repeat that on camera, it never is the same. It's very stilted and, and it's never, never close to the same. So um, I had not really talked too much to this lady. I knew she had, had had the horse professionally hauled up to Phoenix. She did not live in Phoenix. The vet had tranquilized the horse. The, the uh, professional hauler had loaded the horse, brought him to Phoenix, and she had um, boarded him at this boarding stable. And he had been there a um, couple of days before we filmed the episode. And um, there were a lot of horses. It was a, there were 55 horses in this boarding stable in, um, you know, just outside of Phoenix. And it was a long, narrow piece of property, and we were filming all the way at the back because, um, you know, that's where we had some space. We had a, a large uh, truck and trailer um, that we we were using, and um, and we wanted to be, you know, off the beaten path so people would leave us alone and not make noise and get in the way. So consequently, we were, you know, quite a ways uh, away from the very front of this facility, which is where this horse had been stalled. So uh, in the before footage, we've got the trailer set up. The lady, we say, okay, uh, go ahead now and show us your attempt to get the horse in the trailer. And in this case, the horse was highly cooperative for our TV show. Um, she would lead him up to the trailer. 
he would throw a tantrum. She would circle back and walk away from the trailer, um, gather up her courage and come back at the trailer again, and to which she would have the same result. The horse would throw a tantrum. Uh, she would um, very obediently then take the horse away from the trailer. He would calm down for a minute, and then she would start the whole thing over again. And so when you watch the before footage of this episode, you'll see that. You'll see her attempt to walk this horse in the trailer, I don't know, half a dozen times. And each time the horse throws a fit, and each time the horse throws a fit, she takes it away from the trailer. Okay, so now we know we have a horse that's been trained not to get in a trailer, and his cue um, to be taken away from the trailer is to throw a fit. And his human responds to the cue every single time. So no problem. This is going to be easy. So I thought. Um, so we reset and I say, okay, I see what's going on. This is what you're doing. You're reinforcing this bad behavior. You've trained the horse not to get in the trailer. He is a thoroughbred. They are prone to temper tantrums, and this horse had a temper. Um, anyone who's ever been around a thoroughbred throwing a temper tantrum knows that it's kind of a scary thing, so we do a lot to avoid them. Um, and in this case, her avoidance of the temper tantrum um, just reinforced the, the horse's behavior. So she got that. She understood it right away. And uh, it's funny how in hindsight we see these things. So I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to control this horse's nose, and I'm going to persuade him that he doesn't get to leave the trailer, that his only option is to go in the trailer, and you're going to convince the horse he cannot turn right or left by controlling his nose, and I'm going to convince him he can't back up. So anytime he backs up, I'm going to wave the flag at him, shake the flag at him hard, and anytime he goes forward, I'm going to stop shaking the flag. Well, we got about mm, approximately 30 seconds into that routine when the horse just, as soon as I flagged him, he reared up, ripped the lead rope out of her hands and ran all the way back to his stall. It was like five or 10 minutes before we could get all the way back there and get the horse. Meanwhile, he's sitting there eating, drinking, you know, enjoying his luxurious stall. So now we're going on to uh, take two. So we take the horse all the way back out there. This time I put my assistant, T. Cody, on the horse's head with instructions to keep control of that horse's nose. Um, same thing happened. Walking up at the trailer, he starts to throw a fit. He backs up. I flag him. He immediately just throws his body weight around, rips a rope out of her hand, runs all the way back to his stall. So now two times. This horse has run all the way back to his stall and had a nice rest um, after ripping the rope out of our hands. Now, to our credit, nobody told us about that particular behavior. He did not display that behavior in the before footage. He was obviously highly skilled at what I call rip and run. Um, thankfully, most horses never learn this behavior. But once a horse learns that he can overpower you with his body weight, and rip the rope out of your hands and leave. Sadly, once a horse learns that, you cannot unlearn it. He he forever knows that. Uh, he might not employ that tactic very often, but he will for, forever know that he can leave. And so anytime you're putting pressure on that horse, you're asking him to do something he really doesn't want to do, he just you know, rips the rope out. I've seen horses that also rear and strike at you uh, when they do that. Uh, and, um, you know, some some horses can just 
do it in a methodical way. Some horses can do it in an aggressive way. So that's what we had on our hands. So now, after the horse had two really big successes off of us, I knew we had a problem. So this time, I took the horse's head. I had T. Cody take the flag. And the reason why, the flagging is very difficult because of the timing of it. You have to begin flagging at the exact right instant, and you have to stop flagging at the exact right instance. And you have to concentrate really hard on doing that. Um, so I have found over the years that the timing is of the pressure and the release is so critical that it's better if I do the flag. But controlling a horse's nose when he wants to bolt and leave is a very difficult job um, that most amateur handlers aren't going to be able to handle. So I took the horse's head this time. We did put a chain um, over his nose in addition to the rope halter and lead. Um, so that I would have a little little bit of leverage. And, um, you know, you'll have to watch the episode to see what happened, and you'll only see um, a sort of hint of it. But what happened was, predictably, the horse tried the same thing on me, except this time I was ready for it. Um, he sort of conveniently for me, uh, when he was trying to get away from me, he pulled to the side and there was a, a little sapling tree there that was about as big around as a fence post. Oh, maybe four inches around. And uh, so just as he was about to get away from me, I was able to take a wrap of the rope on that tree. And he wheeled around and he hit the end of that rope when it hit that tree and it pulled him right back around he did, had no idea what had just happened, but he was pretty sure I had done it. And he uh, did not like the way that made his nose feel when he hit the end of that taut rope. And um, it, it, I don't know what happened in that horse's future, but that was the last time he tried to get away that day. That was a real turning point for this horse. And I am not exaggerating when I tell you that within five minutes, that horse was walking straight in the trailer without hesitation. So that one little incident, and I was very lucky. We had people, we had people lined up uh, behind the cameras uh, or beside the cameras. We have to protect the cameras and the cameramen, of course, from a horse that's bolting. And um, so we had people lined up to try to contain this horse, and they were all a big help. But what really stopped them in the end was that little tree that just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and then that horse, and he was amazing to see how once he changed his mind, he changed his mind, and he, he would walk right in the trailer without hesitation. I did follow up with the lady that owned the horse um, months later, and he, he was still loading just fine in the trailer. So uh, that was a fun story, definitely one of my top three the next episode that makes the top three most memorable episodes of Horsemaster with Julie Goodnight was in season four, episode nine. We called it The Bucket List. And this episode was also filmed in Arizona, uh, but a few years later. Uh, we were in Queen Creek, Arizona, beautiful uh, public facility, uh, event facility there. And I remember this horse so very well. Um, the owner stood out in my mind as much as the horse. Her name was Cynthia. And she was just the most fun-loving, delightful woman, um, full of laughter. And she loved this horse so much. It was a beautiful black quarter horse mare. And she was definitely the apple of her owner's eye. 
Um, she had done everything on this horse from trail riding to barrel racing to poles to, to uh, you name it, uh, trail obstacles. Um, but she really wanted to get the horse into more of a pleasure or performance um, frame. This horse was high-headed. Uh, she was using a tie-down. It was very fast and rushy and um, hollowed out with choppy gates. And, um, you know, she, the owner, Cynthia, really wanted the mare to just slow down, smooth out, to be able to ride on a loose rein with her head down and rounded and possibly to be able to show her in some rail classes. That was about the only thing she'd never done with this horse. And so um, I could see right away, you know, some things we could could resolve and getting a horse that's high-headed and hollowed out, uh, trained to be relaxed and rounded and soft and collected. Um, I probably have to say is a forte of mine. I've done it so much that I don't find it very challenging, especially when a horse, you know, if it starts with the horse being totally uh, equipped wrong with the wrong bit and uh, maybe being ridden wrong, um, some of those things are really easy to fix. And so then... um, and then it's just a matter of training the horse what you want, rewarding him for lowering his head. Once he, once you reward him for lowering his head, he'll lower it all the way to the ground because that's easy and, and it feels good. So uh, generally when horses are high-headed, we've got equipment problems, we've got rider problems, and we've got a horse that's, been, uh, that's learned the wrong thing. So this mare was an example of that. However, it took me quite a while. She had been ridden with a tie down and hollowed out for so long that um, I had to spend some time. She was resistant to lowering her head on my request uh, with rain pressure. But once she got it, she was like, once she finally put her head down and I gave her the release and petted her on the neck, from that moment forward... Anytime I asked, her head would go down. So it took me a while to get the right answer, but once she got it, she had it 100%. She was completely fluid in that skill once she got it. So this breakthrough uh, took us longer than normal. We didn't do it in the normal 11 minutes. It was I, I don't remember exactly. I want to say maybe 20, 30, 45 minutes. But I remember it took long because... It was the last episode we were filming of that day, and it was getting darker and darker and darker, and I was still working and working and working. So if you watch this episode, uh, you'll see it's getting darker and darker as I'm finishing up. Uh, But she finally got it. Once she had it, she had it. And uh, it was really cool because the owner could uh, replicate what I had taught, taught the horse, and that, and Cynthia was so thrilled with his horse in all 260 episodes of Horse Master. I never remember uh, an owner or rider so excited about the progress they made and so thrilled with their horse. She said, this horse is truly now my dream horse. This was a bucket list of mine to do this one last thing with this horse. And I, I'm so thrilled. And, um, and she laughed and we were all very, um, uh, we we all really admired Cynthia a lot just because she was so in love with that horse and she was so willing to take the blame for any of the horse's weaknesses. Um, so we were all really saddened to hear just a few short weeks later that the mare had suddenly died of colic. 
And of course, Cynthia was heartbroken. We had not even looked at the footage from this episode uh, yet um, before uh, we found out she had lost the mare. And we were so sad for her. And she, of course, was devastated. But she said to all of us, as if to comfort us, she said, you know, this is a really important lesson that these are really delicate creatures and they can leave us at any time. And we need to cherish the time we spend with them. And I'll never forget that to this day, the noble way in that she, she handled that loss. And, um, and I remember the, the mare like it was yesterday. Finally, on my list of top, the top three most memorable episodes of Horsemaster is an episode from the last season, season 11. Episode, actually, this horse was in three episodes, episodes seven, eight, and nine, but I'm going to talk to you about episode nine. It's called The Lost Episode of Chief. And season, or episodes seven and eight in season 11 were about the story of of Chief and his owner, Amy. And um, just so happens that Amy is a very good friend of mine, and she lives right across the street from me. And um, we hang out together quite a bit. And so um, I, I, knew, I knew both of them. And uh, Chief has a fascinating story, so does Amy. But the first two episodes were called Control of Life. And really, they were more about Amy. But um, the we had so much stuff filming the episode because it was a groundwork episode, all filmed in the round pen. Um, but the short story of Chief is that he was a purebred Morgan horse. Beautiful, big, bold, regal-looking Morgan, very typey. Um, beautiful mover. He was 20, you know, one years old, two years old when I first met him. So he wasn't exactly in his prime, but he came to us from the Colorado horse rescue and he came to the rescue, um, basically being dumped off by his owners who were abandoning him after, um, the horse had been gored by a bull. They had had, um, a repair surgery, the, the, the place where the horse got gored was basically uh, right between his legs, just behind his shoulders. So it was kind of in the middle of his chest uh, or just behind the girth area. And um, they, the horse had been gored by a bull. They had tried to repair, repair it somehow with surgery and the surgery had failed um, at least one time, I'm not sure if it was one time or two times, the surgery failed and, and they gave up on this horse and uh, they put him in the rescue. Uh, the rescue, as, as good rescues do, they brought the horse back to health. They began to train on the horse until he was ready for adoption and Amy adopted the horse. Now, Amy is a, a quite um, meek person. She's, and I don't, meek is not the right word. She's very loving and nurturing. She's, um, um, you know, loves her animals and she nurtures them. And um, and she was really enamored of this horse and his story. And she just wanted to give him a wonderful home. And she brought him home. Well, as it turns out, Chief was a very dominant horse. Now, don't ask me why we go and name a horse something like Chief and then expect him to be passive. 
Um, Chief was a very dominant horse. He had a very strong sense of right and wrong. He uh, had um, no, uh, no interest in Amy whatsoever. He learned to actually disdain her because Amy, the long and the short of it, was Amy was trying to win his affection um, through doing nice things for him and pampering him and bribing him and giving him treats and being easy with him. And, you know, in a horse's world, it doesn't work that way. And, and it wasn't that Chief hated all those things. It's just that when she acted that way to him, he thought of her as one of his possessions. He, she was acting in a submissive and subordinate way. And so he thought of her that way. And then when she would try to do groundwork with him and train on him over time, he started becoming reactive to that and saying, no, you know, who do you think you are? I'm not going to take that from you. Uh, he started becoming increasingly aggressive when she would ask him to do something. He would lunge at her. He would strike at her. He would charge her. Um, you know, he was pretty good most of the time. But when they butted heads, and usually it started with her asking him to do something in an inexact way um, or her, in his mind, doing something wrong, um, he would just lose his temper and come after her. Well, it didn't take long before she was afraid of this horse, understandably. So these three episodes of Chief are about figuring out what's going on there, about retraining the horse. I worked the horse in the round pen. I was able to elicit a little bit of that behavior, but honestly, the horse had a lot of deference for me. I didn't make the mistakes she was making. Um, I did have probably a couple of, you know, moments of showdown with him. Um, but I, I prevailed and I wasn't afraid of him and he knew it and we got along great. Um, so the, it's not hard for me to train horses. What's hard is to get the owner of the horse to do it right. And so the last episode of Chief is really a lesson about round pinning um, a dominant and aggressive horse, a horse that has a strong sense of right and wrong, and, um, and, and how you're going to deal with that aggression. And Chief was an incredible horse. Um, we've since lost him. He died of uh, age-inflicted um, illness, but um, he had a good life. And Amy did finally realize that she had gone about this all wrong, by uh, pampering the horse in the beginning. She also realized all the wanting in the world wasn't going to make this horse love her back. And so she ultimately sort of turned a cold shoulder on this horse. She still took good care of him, but she acted like he meant nothing to her. And, you know, within a day or two of her turning the cold shoulder, all of a sudden that horse was seeking out her attention. Um, they ended up having um, a good relationship uh, they both grew a lot. They both got what they needed out of the relationship. And uh, Chief was an incredible horse, and I'll never forget him. By the way, we did change his name. Um, <laughs> actually, during the uh, episode, the lost episode of Chief, I suggested maybe a name change, which was in order. So we started calling him Cobb. And uh, Cobb was a great horse up right up till his very last day. And um, Amy will miss him a lot, but um, she did a great job. was a little bit about my TV series, Horse Master with Julie Goodnight. 
and the top three most memorable episodes we ever had. I hope you enjoyed the stories. Next month on this podcast, I'm going to share more stories with you, tell you more behind-the-scenes stories from episodes that stand out in my mind. But I wanted to remind everybody that all 260 episodes of Horsemaster with Julie Goodnight are available streaming video on demand at tv.juliegoodnight.com. That's tv.juliegoodnight.com. And uh, you can search this uh, content by keywords. If you come home, uh, go down to the barn today and the horse bucks when you canter, come, come home, log in, um, type in bucks when canter, and six episodes will come up. I just happen to remember that's how many we did from my list. So um, also, if you have any questions about Horse Master, how we made the show, what went on the behind the scenes, if you have uh, any comments about your favorite episodes, we've already gotten a list going from a few of you, but some of them are coming from the people that were in the show. So, of course, it was their favorite episode. Uh, we'd love to hear from our viewers what was their favorite episode, um, which one uh, was most meaningful or entertaining. Um, and if you have any questions or want to share your favorite episode of Horse Master, please message me on Facebook. As always, I'd like to thank Smooth Stride Riding Jeans for making this podcast free to listeners. You can find them at smoothstride.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, remember, please take a moment to leave me a review. Um, that will help me out a lot, and it will also help other horse lovers find this podcast. I'm Julie Goodnight. I'll talk to you next time. In the meantime, enjoy the ride. Thank you to Smooth Stride Riding Jeans for sponsoring this podcast. They make it possible for you to listen for free. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride.